Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Hey everyone, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors at Salt Church. Great to have you here. Uh, One more plug for Grow. Let's see if my slides work. Yes! Uh, there we go. One more plug for Grow. Uh, we've had some very important moments at Soul Church over the last 10 years. This is one of them. We need actually 80 people to come in order for our new constitution to get voted on uh, to improve our church. 80 people. That's like half of us plus half of 10am church. That's a lot of people to be here so that we can vote on this and see our new constitution in place. Uh, and also, we finally got some momentum as a church after two years of COVID and lockdowns. So this is a moment where this year we can see new disciples made again at Soul Church. We're going to find out how to do that at Grow. So it'd be great if you could plan to come along. Let me also plug for you our Constitution Plus event. Uh, we sent our Constitution out to people at Soul last year, end of last year, and we got a bunch of feedback that's made a better Constitution. And there were some common themes in there for things to improve and also for things that weren't clear. So we ran an event uh, a few weeks back on how we're making Salt Church safer. So the Constitution, but also things like our safe ministry policy and our complaints policy and our code of conduct for our leadership team uh, and how we've got male and female representatives at each of our two gatherings that you can go to if you've got a concern about something that's happening at Salt Church. We ran that night. It's recorded. You can check out Salt Weekly and listen to that. Tomorrow night, we're running another thing, 7.30 p.m., on how our beliefs about men and women have shaped our Constitution and the way Salt Church is governed. Uh, Michael's going to take us to the Bible and show us how what we see from the Bible, how we've applied that at Soul Church. I'm going to take us through the argument of a guy named John Dixon and interact with his book. He wrote a book in 2014 called Hearing Her Voice. And then my wife Fiona is going to come and share what it's been like for her joining the leadership team with Michael Andy and I. Uh, that's tomorrow night, 7 p.m., 7.30 p.m., sorry. Uh, it's here. We're also going to record it if you're not able to come. How about I pray and then we'll jump into this passage. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your words. Uh, this is a heavy passage. We pray that you would help us to understand it. Please help me to speak clearly and truthfully. And please help us to respond to your word as we really should, Lord. Amen. Uh, a few years back... A mate of mine got interviewed on Triple J's hack program, a live interview. This was at the time of the debates about same-sex marriage that was going on, kind of 2016, and he got on there to share what Christians have to say about this whole topic, and he kind of got grilled, but he did a great job of being compassionate and clear and relevant and interesting, and he talked about Jesus heaps. He talked about what Jesus said and what he did and what he was on about, And he talked about Jesus so much that the host of Hack said, okay, I think you've talked about Jesus enough now. Is there anything else that you want to say? And so he said a few more things and then the host wrapped up and that was the show. And I remember thinking as I listened to it, wow, you did such a great job, but also enough. How can you talk about Jesus enough? There is no too much when it comes to Jesus. Christians talk about Jesus all the time, endlessly. We just don't shut up about him. Why? 
Why do we go on about Jesus? Why did my mate use a whole interview on Triple J to just talk about Jesus? Why does it matter what you think about Jesus? Well, it's because Jesus shows us reality as God sees it and not as people see it. He shows us God's perspective on reality. And he shows us today that misunderstanding Jesus is terribly dangerous. It's extremely serious. Look at verse 30. See what he says in verse 30. Have a look. Have Matthew 12 open there. We're going to be working our way through it. Look at what he says in verse 30. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. When it comes to Jesus, there's no neutral. If you like Jesus, but you don't follow Jesus, then you're against Jesus. Or have a look at verse 31. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the one to come. There's one thing that God will never forgive you for. Misunderstanding Jesus is extremely serious and terribly dangerous. And all of us at some level misunderstand Jesus, including me. So let's have a listen to what Jesus is saying and where these warnings come from. The background to the two warnings is in verse 22. Have a look with me, verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. There's this incredible healing, and it leads to two very different responses. Verse 23, all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? The son of David, God's chosen king, who's going to rescue his people from their enemies and from evil. That's one response. Maybe it's that. Second response is verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Pretty different options. Son of David or Jesus is working for Beelzebul. He's on the payroll of Satan. And Jesus goes on to explain why that is just the stupidest argument ever. But can we pause for a second and see that we're talking about Satan and demons like they're real things. Uh, As real things. Jesus here shows us that there's more to this world than what we can taste and touch and see. He shows us reality as God sees it. And one thing that's real about this world is there's a spiritual part to this world. A supernatural part to this world. And the idea of demons and Satan, I think it's pretty shocking for people who come from a kind of Western scientific worldview. Uh, Our default, I think my default for a long time has been just to dismiss this. But it's worth saying no one in Africa or Asia or South America is shocked by this. This is just a normal part of life. The Pharisees aren't shocked by this. They don't deny that this man was possessed by a demon. They just disagree with about how Jesus got rid of it. There is a spiritual part to this world, a spiritual realm. Jesus shows us that. And if you think about it, if there is a God, there's a physical realm, and if there is a God, 
then it makes sense that there'd be a spiritual realm because God is spiritual. We can't see God. So if there's physical and there's God, it makes sense that there would be a spiritual realm as well. I mean, if we're going to believe in God, why not demons and Satans too? Obviously, there's more to the world than what you can taste and touch and see. But the fact that there is something spiritual is not the important thing to see here. The important thing to see is that Jesus defeats Satan by the Holy Spirit. That's the big thing to see here. And no human could be stronger than Satan, than a demon, but this man's been healed. So how has that happened? Well, the Pharisees say Jesus got help from Satan. And Jesus says to them, that just makes no sense at all. Look at what he says, verse 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Uh, What happens when a nation is divided? Civil war is what happens when a nation is divided. Or a town, when a town splits into the right side and the wrong side of town. Or even in a home. When a couple is just fighting and they're in so much conflict, they can't live together, the house is divided, it's the same kind of idea. If you're against yourself, you fall apart. So why would Satan be against himself, Jesus is saying to them? Why would Satan destroy his own kingdom from the inside? Satan is not stupid, but that argument is stupid. Then he goes on, verse 27, And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. Their people, or or more literally, their own sons cast out demons. So without realizing it, the Pharisees are actually accusing their kids of being on Satan's payroll. Because if Jesus is casting out demons by Satan, who are their kids casting it out by? It doesn't really work. No, that's not how it's happening. Verse 28 is how it's happening. Verse 28, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. God, the Holy Spirit, has defeated these evil spirits. The kingdom of God has crushed the kingdom of Satan into the dust. Jesus defeats Satan by the Holy Spirit. And the proof that it's by the Holy Spirit is verse 29. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. When Satan, the strong man, when Satan is tied up by someone who's stronger than him, then Jesus can plunder his possessions. Uh, At the moment, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. That's me with... The instructor, Professor Gabrielle, and right in the very back, you can see my head in the other picture. Um, <laughs> so there you go, there's proof that I've actually do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, if you've never heard of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's basically wrestling, but for adults. Uh, and I've been doing this for about a year and a half. There's a couple of other people here who train with me. Um, I've been doing this about a year and a half, and recently the new lead pastor at Fig Tree Anglican Church joined. Uh, his guy's name's Robin. 
Uh, and so now it's a battle of the pastors, the two of us going against each other. And worth knowing, I weigh in at a pretty impressive 70 kilograms. I'm five foot seven and I've been training about a year and a half. Robin is a full head taller than me. He's 110 kilos and he's been training for 10 years. Uh, the first time that he came to class, we sparred against each other and he totally dominated me. I had to tap out very quickly and many times. To overpower him, I would have to be stronger than him, or certainly at least better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu than I am. I'd have to be stronger than him, and it's the same kind of thing going on with Satan. Satan is defeated by someone who is stronger than him, by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is way stronger than Satan, which means that Jesus can rob Satan's house and steal back what Satan owns. And what is it that Satan owns? He owns people. One thread in the Bible is the clash between Satan and God. This is a thread that kind of runs its weaves its way the whole way through the Bible. And you see it right back in the first chapters in Genesis. In Genesis, Satan convinces Adam and Eve to listen to him and trust him instead of listening to God. And when he does that, Adam and Eve become enslaved to Satan. They become enslaved to their sin. They follow and belong to Satan. And that, that's what they do. And then it kind of becomes the default for all humans ever since then. The default for all people is that we belong to Satan, which is a shocking thing to say. But this is the language of the Bible. Let me show you a couple of passages. First one comes from Ephesians chapter 2. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is one of the ways the Bible uses to talk about the devil or Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Or 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. Or John 8, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This is something he says to God's people, the ancient Israelites, to the Jews, he says this. This is the way the Bible talks about this. The default for all humans is that we belong to Satan. And there's different ways to be enslaved to Satan. I think for most of the world, it happens by fear. Uh, I know of a missionary in Africa who spends his nights wandering the streets, just talking to people. And he tries to find people who look scared because across Africa in the place that he lives, he'll just find dozens of people who won't go to sleep. They won't go home because they're terrified that they're going to be attacked by an evil spiritual being. I think that's how it works for most of the world. Fear. In the West, though, it's a little bit different for us. I think uh, Satan's slavery is captured well by the line at the end of The Usual Suspects where Kaiser Sose says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. I think it's how it works in our scientific worldview country. Satan actually has so much influence that he's persuaded people to believe that he doesn't even exist, that the demons are make-believe. 
all the while he's enslaving them and they belong to him. That's pretty spooky, isn't it? But God's power makes Satan look pathetic. He makes his, Satan's power look like he's a baby ant. Because after the first people turn from God to belong to Satan, God makes this promise in Genesis 3 that Jenny read out for us earlier. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's saying this to the snake, to Satan. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He will crush your head. And that's what happens when Jesus comes to earth. You get a picture, of, a picture of that victory when he heals this man who's been possessed by a demon and casts out with just the word. But the full defeat comes at the cross, which is the next verse there, Colossians 2. It says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Have you ever had a moment where you triumph and then immediately fail. Uh, you know, like you, you land some amazing move and then you face plant or you win an award and you're up there in front of your class or in front of all your colleagues and then you realize that your fly's undone or you're having the worst hair day. That's kind of what happens to Satan at the cross. He, Jesus is nailed to the cross. His followers have abandoned him. Even his father God has turned his face away. And Satan thinks he's won. But the very moment where Satan thinks he's won is Satan's defeat. That's when he's crushed into the dust. And he's crushed into the dust for us. Jesus defeats Satan by the Holy Spirit to win back us. That's what the last verse there says. Talking about what God the Father has done. And it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness... And brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We've changed kingdoms. Jesus has crushed Satan under his feet so that everyone who trusts in Jesus can be free from Satan's rule and forgiven for all their sin. That missionary I talked about who's in Africa, who spends his night walking streets, talking to people who are afraid of evil spirits. What he does is he spends his nights telling them about Jesus. And how Jesus is so much stronger and they don't need to fear. And he prays with them in the name of Jesus for comfort and peace. Because Jesus defeats Satan. Not by working for him, but by working against him. See, Jesus defeats Satan by the Holy Spirit and frees people from his kingdom. Now, has he done that for you? If you accept Jesus... You can be free from Satan's power. But if not, if you don't accept Jesus, you remain enslaved. And that's what leads to these two warnings. Jesus warns us that if you reject Jesus in the Holy Spirit, you cannot be freed and forgiven. And that's the danger that the Pharisees are in. Have a look in verse 30 again. Here's what it says. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. As some things you're either for or against. There is no sitting on the fence. There's no neutral. There's no middle ground. And there's no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. There's no Switzerland. You can't be neutral here. You're either for or against. 
It, Jesus is not like a Facebook event. This is what happens on Facebook. Going, not going, interested. And everybody picks interested. Jesus is not that. There is no interested option. With Jesus, there's two options. You're either with Jesus in the kingdom of God, you see the power and the goodness of the Holy Spirit, or you're against Jesus in the kingdom of Satan, and you call the Holy Spirit evil and resist him. There's only two options. So let me ask you, where do you stand with Jesus right now? Obviously, that's an important and pressing question if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Because if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're exploring Jesus, you know that you don't stand with Jesus, you're still trying to work him out. But also, it's a pressing question if you claim to follow Jesus. Because only God knows what's in your mind and in your heart. Only you and God know that. It may be that you call yourself a Christian. It may be that you've been coming to church for years. Maybe you're respected at Soul Church and you lead a team or a small group or a ministry. Maybe you're the first to arrive here and the last to leave. But you're still in the kingdom of Satan because you've never trusted Jesus as your savior and your king. I got friends who looked like they were Christians. Everybody thought they were Christians. But years later... They left it all behind. And as I dug into that, and how did that happen? Why did that happen? I realized, for most of them, they just were never Christians in the first place. They were interested in Jesus. They liked what Jesus had to say. And they liked church. They liked the church scene. That was kind of their tribe. But they never actually trusted and followed Jesus. They never prayed and committed their life to Jesus and asked for forgiveness. They were interested in Jesus, but they weren't with him. And if you're not for Jesus, you're against Jesus. There is no half-hearted middle ground here. There's a man named Heinrich Hein, a German poet named Heinrich Hein. And in the 1880s, he was on his deathbed. And a priest came and said to him, Do you think that God will forgive you for your sin? And Heinrich Hein said, of course God will forgive me. That's his job. Can you see how that kind of attitude just flies in the face of Jesus' warning here? It's not forgiveness guaranteed if you never come to Jesus. You can't spend your life ignoring Jesus and then on your deathbed tick a box and expect to be welcomed with open arms. You need to pick a side now and you need to show which side you're on, show that you're with Jesus based on how you treat the Holy Spirit, which is where Jesus goes next in one of the most troubling and difficult verses in the Bible. Look at verse 31. Let's have a look at it. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the one to come. What does that mean? Um, I looked at a whole bunch of videos and sermons and articles trying to wrap my head around this, and I read the comments of the videos, YouTube videos. You never read comments, but I did. Uh, And there were a lot of comments from Christians who were really scared about this verse. 
They were terrified that, have I done this? Have I done something that God will never forgive me for? What does this mean? Well, the key for any hard verse is the context. No verse comes in a vacuum. And this doesn't come in a vacuum as if Jesus is talking about the weather and then suddenly, bang, unforgivable sin. No, it comes in a context. The Pharisees are accusing Jesus for working for Satan and healing by the power of an evil spirit, not the Holy Spirit. And to them, Jesus gives this warning that they are in a very dangerous position. And here's the danger. I think this is what's going on here. The danger is that the only one who can free you from Satan's power is the Holy Spirit. But they just rejected the Holy Spirit and called him evil. So how could they ever be freed? If they're rejecting the only one that could free them, how could they ever be freed? It's not so much that God will refuse to forgive them, it's that they're unwilling to be forgiven because they reject the Holy Spirit and they call the Holy Spirit evil. They credit the Holy Spirit's work to Satan, the most evil being in the universe. It's unforgivable because it's impossible to humbly ask God for forgiveness if you outright reject the Holy Spirit as evil. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who leads you to repent and ask for forgiveness. I'll say that again. It's unforgivable because it's impossible to humbly ask God for forgiveness if you outright reject the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the only one who will lead you to humbly repent and ask for forgiveness. And that is why blasphemy against the Holy Spirit can't be forgiven. If you reject Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you cannot be freed and forgiven. Uh, Let me try and illustrate this. Here's an illustration I thought of. I need a prop. Watch your legs there, Matt. Here's my prop. Prepared this earlier. All right. Now, imagine all your sin on this table. All the things that you've done wrong in your life, all the things you're ashamed of, all your guilt, all your sin just piled up on this table, up to the ceiling. Actually, probably through the ceiling, through the roof, all your sin piled up here. What is Jesus saying? Well, the Holy Spirit comes with this promise that if you trust Jesus and come to Jesus, all your sin will be swept onto the floor. All of it will be dealt with. What Jesus is not saying is that after that happens, there might still be one thing left on the table. One thing that remains, one thing you can never be forgiven for, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's not what Jesus is saying. There's nothing left on the table. If you come to Jesus, you'll be forgiven for everything. The one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit still has a full table because they don't want their table to be cleared. They hear the Holy Spirit's promise that it'll be cleared if you trust in Jesus, and they call that evil. They stop Jesus from sweeping away their sin from the table because they don't want to be forgiven. That's what it's talking about. I think as Christians, sometimes we feel, have I done this thing? Well, by definition, if you're a Christian, you haven't done this. 
And I'm not saying if you're performing really well as a Christian, if you're impressing people as, you're, as you be a Christian. I'm talking about if you're basically, if you're a Christian, if you trust in Jesus. Because being a Christian is not about our performance, it's about Jesus' performance. So if you trust in Jesus, you have never done this thing. There's other language in the Bible for how Christians are meant to treat the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're meant to make sure we don't quench the Spirit. Or we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We're meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is totally different to blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. To switch metaphors, it's the difference between having a guest in your home that you've invited in and just ignoring them, as opposed to slamming the door in the face of that guest so they never even enter your house. That's the difference between these two things. Now, obviously, this is a heavy warning and so relevant if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Whether you know little or lots about Jesus and spiritual realities, can you see the danger that is there if you're unwilling to come to Jesus? If you've ever received bad news in your life, this is worse. The worst news you can ever receive is that God will not forgive you. What people think about our sin in our life, it's relatively unimportant. You know, people say to you, I'll never forgive you. I don't know if anybody's ever said that to you. I'll never forgive you. If a human says that to you, you can still get on with your life. And sometimes people change their mind. They might even end up forgiving you at some time in the future. But if God says to you, I will never forgive you, then a million ages from now, you will still be unforgiven. If Mount Everest was shrinking, was, was being flattened out at the rate of one millimeter every billion years, you would still be unforgiven when it was as flat as a sheet of paper. God's judgments are as unbreakable as God's pardons. You would be eternally unforgiven. And you're either with Jesus or you're against Jesus. Misunderstanding Jesus is extremely serious and terribly dangerous. And if you're not a Christian, you need to become one. You need to hear this and come to Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you need to hear this too, even though we're not in the same danger. I read an article from Piper this week, John Piper. And he said, it's really good for our faith to see the kindness and the severity of our God. To look at the wrath and the mercy of God. To see the toughness and the tenderness of God. The opposition and the assistance of God. The fierceness and the friendship of God. If we only look here, if we only look at God's gentler side, it will be bad for our faith. Warnings like this keep us clinging to Christ. Why does it matter what you think about Jesus? Well, misunderstanding Jesus puts you in the danger of being against him and being unforgiven forever. That is heavy. And this is a heavy passage. But it's also an incredibly warm and comforting passage. Believe it or not, buried in here is one of the most amazing sentences you'll ever read. The kind of sentence you'd chuck on your fridge, you'd get as a tat to remind you. It's in verse 31. Have a look with me, verse 31. 
And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven.